Hey, how you doing? <laughs> it's your boys. It's your boys. The podcast of goodness. Um, coming at you live from Lincoln in Florida. And yeah. we are... It's live right now for us. It won't be live for you. <laughs> yeah. But the magic's still there. Yeah, we are live. We're alive. We are. Um, You're live too. Yes. And Unless you're a robot listening to this. I just and then noticed, we have questions. Just, what is what is alive? What is alive? Yeah. Well, one thing that I just noticed that I just want to point out is Harry has an iPad that is playing his own music <laughs> on repeat. On repeat. <laughs> Always. Just all the time. Unless Rubble watches something on that iPad, that's all that iPad <laughs> does. That's its only function, by the way. Uh, Harry that's Norman. what I do. I live to repeat the same song over and over. Sometimes I do playlists, but lately I've just been really hitting hard on the on the one song, trying to up the yeah boost the plays, you know. Yeah, I think getting maximized plays on one song is probably the way to go. Um, yeah, my my uh, Spotify blended or whatever at the end of the year. Yeah, it's not it's not very representative no. of my actual song. Tests. No, mine's not either, which is really sad because they also used my Spotify at our church for like our pre and post church mm. like music. So my tops were Harry Norman on like repeat while as I was sleeping to get those plays up. By request. By request. <laughs> and then, yeah, Spotify worship. Um, and that was it. So I was like really sad. Everyone else was like, look how cool it is. Yeah. And I'm like, mine's not worth sharing. Yeah, my I'm pretty sure my top one for last year was Wheels on the Bus uh by Coco Melon. So, uh that's that's my personal. Um that's just something I really love, you know, it gets me gets me jazz, gets me excited to like work out, get started for the day. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. any any that's emotion, me. any emotion you're feeling at the moment, the Wheels on the Bus. Like are you going yeah. through trials and tribulations? The Wheels on the yeah. Bus go round and round. Do you do you need a pump-up song? You know, it's like I yeah. the, I the Tiger or the wheels, wheels on the, on the bus. bus. Yeah. And, Did both of your parents die in a tragic car accident? <laughs> wheels on the bus. Too soon? Too soon. <laughs> but you know what's cool about this is I feel like Wheels on the Bus, Coco Melon, is very analogous to mm. Isaiah. Perfect segue. Because oh, yes. no matter where you are, if you're wanting the justice of the Lord to come swiftly, Isaiah. If you are mm. feeling wrenched with sin that you are so wretched because of your sin, Isaiah. If you're looking for a piece of hope, a place of future perfection, Isaiah. So that's the cool thing about Isaiah is it really it hits you wherever you're at um, and delivers in a really cool way. Which is why we've been waiting so long to finish this because we wanted just some more life experience to be able to connect. Mm. We thought we'd start at the beginning at the end, and the end of the beginning. We actually were inspired by the universality of the wheels on the bus go round and round so strongly that we started this series on Isaiah all those weeks ago, and, and here we are. Yeah. So. Yep. That's yep. really true. Um, so we're, we're closing the book um, this, this time around. That's the goal, at least. And so we're going to go from 56 to 66, the final 10 chapters of this book, this scroll that is called Isaiah. Uh, what, as we just kind of start, we kind of ask this question usually, what was kind of a theme or a highlight moment from this closing section that you felt either just personally struck you or was overall impactful or, or symbolic of the section as a whole? Yeah, right, right off the bat, a couple of observations that I had was, 
Um, th- a couple of a couple of chapters in this section almost read to me like a letter of Paul, mm. like warning people mm. away from you know idol worship or warning people away from this or that. Like it was it was a very like cautionary Pauline letter kind of a to me anyway um, kind of a prose, um, but also like. It, it, this is not necessarily like the doom and gloom mark. This one, once again, like they have a couple cautionary chapters, but then it really does like put a bow on the entire book, as it were. Um, although it ends a little abruptly, um, but I think that like as I was reading through, like more of warning against sin and war, more of this guy like really hitting home how he hates idol worship. Like it, it almost it almost sounded in, in spots like it was Paul writing to me. So. Hmm. That's super interesting. Yeah. I think that's really interesting. You know, I, I kind of got that too. I, I felt myself reading some parts a lot easier than others because they just flowed well. And Paul's pretty good at that. Um, yeah, I, I think there's a lot of, uh, especially in 59 to kind of the end, there's kind of some back and forth between people crying out to God and God uh, answering. And, um, you know, you see that a lot in Isaiah and prophecy in general it's just kind of what a lot of it is but i really enjoyed there's a lot of things that stuck out to me in this i I don't know if we're gonna go chapter by chapter so i don't need to say them all now but um there's just a lot of really good stuff here about who god's people are why they need god um and uh you know the real reason why we need god and what really is separating us from god and then like there's absolutely the uh, messianic language in here too, especially towards the end. Yeah, there were a couple of Jesus things that I highlighted along the way as well, for sure. Yeah, definitely. I I uh, I noticed some of the same things, Chris. Um, in fifty eight, particularly, it it really struck me. Starting in verse five, he talks about, "Hey, you humble yourself. You go through the motions. You put on burlap. You cover yourself in ashes." And then the NLT says. Is this what you call fasting? Do you really think this will please the Lord? No, this is the kind of fasting that I want. Free those who are wrongly imprisoned. Lighten the burden of those who work for you. Let the oppressed go free and remove the chains that bind people. Share your food with the hungry and give shelter to the homeless. Give clothes to those who need them and do not hide from relatives that need your help. Then your salvation will come like the dawn, and your wounds will quickly heal. Your godliness will lead you forward, and the glory of the Lord will protect you from behind. And, man, I was just like, that's so good. And in a lot of kind of modern iterations of Christianity, just not a part of it, I I feel like, Mm -hmm. which is really interesting. Um, There's like in some sections of at least contemporary American Christianity, I feel like all of the focus is about just like saving people by the word of the gospel. And, and I obviously don't think that doing that is bad, but this, I mean, this is one question that I actually have. I want to throw you guys this way. Like when I read that to me, what this sounds like is, what you're doing is not legit. What I want you to do is care for people that are on the margins. And then when you do that, I will be pleased. Your salvation will come. It, it sounds like almost like a workspace salvation in some ways. 
And and I feel like there's like a decent amount of that in Isaiah where it's like, do the right thing. That's what I want you to do. So like, what do you, what do you make of that? And then just knowing that Jesus comes and in some ways he heightens that rhetoric, but it almost feels like him heightening that is to make the point that we can't do all that good stuff. So like, how do we reckon with Isaiah and Jesus and, and all that stuff? Yeah, I think this concept has been explored in Isaiah before. I think we talked about it briefly, which is one of the messages in the Bible that scares me the most. And that is, you think that you're following my word and, and, and my law, and you you think that you know behind closed doors I don't see what you're doing and thinking and saying, but, but really I do. And what you need to do is stop what you're doing. And you need to do all the things that you know and I know, you know, is, is truly following me. And only then will you be, you know, wh- whatever you're saying, mm-hmm. saved or happy or whatever it is, find enlightenment, whatever it is you're looking for. Um, and I think that uh, that that also, once again, it also like ties me to Paul. <laughs> you know, like I, I know your mm-hmm. question was like really tying it to Jesus, but like that, that message is also talked about a thousand different times in Paul where he's like, all the people out there worshiping in the streets, they're just doing it for their own reasons. Like true, true servant, servanthood looks like this. Or you know, like, what, what are we trying to get? Are we trying to get approval from men? Or are we trying to get approval from God? And so I think that once again, that's, that's where I see it. And I, and I need to find, as you guys talk, I'm going to look to find where we actually cover that in Isaiah. Cause there was another, that particular, um, that particular concept came up prior. Hmm. Yeah. I, I love Isaiah 58. I think it's it's really good and really powerful. And I love instances in the Old Testament where you see the uh, you see the writer advocating for social justice and restorative justice. And I think that's like exactly what Isaiah is nailing here. But I, I think what's really interesting about 58 is that um, if you read it, you know, from the beginning, it's it's the people calling out to God, asking Him for help, and lying to Him. They, they say that we're fasting, um, we, we've humbled ourselves, why don't you notice us, why aren't you listening to us? And then God lays this stuff out. Like, I'm not listening to you, I'm not here because you are not doing those things. You have not humbled us yourself. When you are fasting, you're doing it for the wrong reasons. Um, and then, like, what what does fasting actually look like? What does following me actually look like? Yeah, it's it's finding the people in the margins, loving people well, restoring other people. And, um, yeah, I mean, it's it's so Jesus like it's the same thing when Jesus came into the um the temple like what were people doing they were, they were crying out for God to save them from the empire but like they were doing all the wrong things they weren't really following what God wanted them to do they were just doing what they thought was the right thing to do yeah i found where we brought it up too it's isaiah 29 um specifically in verse 13 <clears throat> uh, and so the lord says these people say they are mine they honor me with their lips but their hearts are far from me, and their worship of me is nothing but man-made rules learned by rote. Once again, NLT. Mm-hmm. And that's like what you're saying. It's like these people are crying out. You know, they're, they're, they think that they're doing all the right things, but this is a repositioning of like, hey, do you actually want to follow me? Do you actually want to come closer to me? Do you actually want to worship me? It's not by seeing who can scream the loudest or seeing who can donate the, much, the most money or whatever you know, your measuring stick right. is. It's... it's Helping the poor, helping the needy, and helping the homeless. and Yeah, I, I think, yeah, that's helpful. And and one thing that kind of, Chris, as you were talking, 
that it brought up, you know, we're, you kind of delineated this difference between like what you're doing and, and where your heart is at. And I think that's one thing that Jesus really hones in on is why are you doing the stuff you're doing? And then with that, you know, the kind of fasting that God was talking about in 58, you know, both literally and metaphorically is like stuff that you do to yourself, you know, in, in a lot of ways um, to like show humbleness or whatever. Um, but then what God advocates for is like fighting for the the advocacy of people who are oppressed and marginalized and just as I'm thinking about this, you know, Jesus says, like, the poor will always be with you, you know, at one point, and, and it's kind of out of context, but I'm going to kind of just steal that thought for a second um, and say, if God is calling us all to advocate for the marginalized, the poor, the oppressed, the widow, the orphan, the immigrant, and and the reality is those people will always be with us then there's like an actual lifelong commitment that would go with what God is calling us to, right? It's not like you can one-off do this sort of thing um, and just like earn some brownie points. It's like, no, you would actually, if you were going to do what God called you to do in loving these people, you would actually have to give up your life in order to do that. And I think maybe I'm starting to see where it kind of connects more to Jesus in, in that sort of sense. Yeah. yeah. Something this reminds me of is a conversation we've had in the past too, which is like, this may or may not be a tangent, but it, it's the thought of, of course I should do that for my fellow brother or sister in Christ, not just because of the here and now ramifications of me doing that or not doing that, but like that's yet another person that I'm going to be spending eternity with <laughs> yeah. following my you know, like bodily excursion here on earth. And so like, w wouldn't I, w wouldn't it be in my best interest to also like be kind and love that person who am I, who's going to be my neighbor slash roommate slash whatever in the new kingdom, you know, like that's, yeah, uh, that's what I'm thinking of there too. That's a good point. And I, I think it, it's so interesting. Like we talked about like the fasting and humbling yourself and putting on sackcloth and like all of that. And, you know, I think the point of that is to show that you completely rely on God, like, right. It's to say, I'm not relying on my stuff. I'm relying on God, but really what's better than that. And what Jesus shows, not that fasting isn't something we should practice, but what's better is, is using what you have to help other people survive and help other people like, like splitting, like sharing what you have. And I think I, I kind of see that theme a little bit here. It's, yeah, that stuff's fine. It's good if it's, you know, for the right reasons and the right hearts behind it. But if your heart was actually for me, then you would see instead of just not eating for a day, you could use that food and give it to other people. Yeah. And I think, too, something that's making me think about as well, I feel like this is how hyperlinks work in a perfect world. Something else that's making me think of is something that has been really important to me personally has been when, when Jesus talks about praying and we went over the Lord's Prayer as like I feel like a lot of churches do frequently. Um, but Jesus is like, don't pray like others do out in the streets loudly or like just like shut your door and pray and your father will see what you do and be pleased or whatever. And so I, I always like I very rarely l prefer or like to pray in public at all. But like I try to make a point to like do it behind closed doors, do it when it's like earlier in the morning by myself. 
And like that, I feel like when you do something privately, it's a really good test and check to see if you're doing it for the right reasons. And then you should move on to step two, which is like what you were saying eloquently, Chris, which is like, okay, if I, if, if I have this thing and I have these gifts and I have, you know, I, I should be spreading those with everybody around me for the obvious reasons that we, we talk about. Yeah, that's good. It, it's, it's something that is a constant theme in Isaiah. And um, it, it's cool, too, because it comes with, like, th- there's, like, this several-sided facet of this where God multiple times tells his people to advocate for the poor and to do um, what they are supposed to do as God's chosen people, which is to be a light to the nations and actually show God's justice, show his mercy, show his love in the world. Um, And then in verse 16 of Isaiah 59, as God, he was amazed that um, to see that no one intervened to help the oppressed, to help the oppressed. So he stepped in himself to save them with his strong arm and his justice sustained him. He put on righteousness as his body armor and placed the helmet of salvation on his head. He clothed himself with a robe of vengeance and wrapped himself in a cloak of divine passion. Um, sounds, again, remnant of yeah. someone else we know. But there, there's some hope in that, like, that even if God's people fail to the highest degree, that God is still right in justice to, like, or just to step in and he will... He will do it, you know. I think that's a cool and a little facet of that. Yeah, I just scrolled up to the top of Isaiah fifty nine two, and it is him <clears throat> juxtaposing. This is the Lord speaking once again. It's him juxtaposing um, himself against humans. So he's like, "I'm not too weak to save you from the stupid things that you've done, and like my ear is not too deaf. Like I I can hear, I can listen, and I will. Even though your your sins have separated you from me, I will come through." So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's really good. Yeah. And then and then in 61 there's this the the kind of flip um in verse 3 to all who mourn in Israel, he will give a crown of beauty for ashes, a joyous blessing instead of mourning, festive praise instead of despair. In their righteousness, they will be like great oaks that the Lord has planted for his own glory. And and I I think that's that's really good too because it's not only like god is going to step in and make things right but that he will there's it's not just like equality or equity like but justice and like these are like you know buzzwords now and in 2022 but like god actually flips the scales over in in a way that i think even we as the church in our best attempts or we as people that are trying to do equity in the world like we really i this is one thing that i struggle with like i feel so helpless in a lot of those things to be like man i want to help people that are on the margins get a leg up i want to do that in whatever way i can but i feel like so much is against the system and and doing that like i don't know what kind of impact i feel like i will have no impact basically um and so i i think there's at least some hope in here that like god has the final word on that impact and like the the kind of idea that i get 
in the way that Isaiah talks about it is that it's like a measure for measure. Like your the depth of your mourning will be filled up with joy, you know? And I think that's exciting. I don't know. We, we keep rocking graves into gardens at church. <clears throat> and I, I, didn't, I did not have this verse in Isaiah 61 highlighted, but I just highlighted it. And I also was thinking like, that that song is just nice because it's like graves and gardens. And I was thinking like, man, is that phrase used ever in the Bible? Like graves specifically in the gardens. Like that's like a nice little juxtaposition there. But yeah, beauty for ashes, that line is used. And I was like, ooh, that's tasty. That's tasty. But yeah, I didn't know that that came from here. Yeah. Yeah. I, I really like, Hayden, what you said earlier. Um, and it's something I've been thinking about just as you've been talking about how... Um, serving the marginalized and specifically in um right now in my job i i serve a lot of homeless people um, we have a lot of homeless people come through and actually i really do enjoy that part of my job but it is i for like the first three or four months it was always okay how can i how can i fix this person's situation and how you said it's it's about it's not about it's not really about solving it as it about living a life that serves those people. And so if I, if I can change something for that person and lift them up and bring them up and restore them, that's great. But in my mind, it's, it was so much how, how can I, how can I solve this so I can get past it and onto the next thing, you know, like how, how can I like solve this person's major issue in life? And it's never just one thing, but I really like that because it's, it's not, as Christians, we are to be committed. We are to be committed to a life of that, of serving those people and bringing them in and restoring them and loving them well. And um, yeah, that's something that I think we really need to remind ourselves. And it's almost comforting, like knowing that um, it's part of it's part of who we're gonna. It's part of who we're supposed to be. It's supposed to be those people. Like you know, it it is daunting um, to think that this is something that we can't solve on our own, but at the same time, it's, it's kind of freeing to know that it has to be um, us alongside Jesus working on it. Yeah. I, I think um, I was listening to a podcast the other day and it was the asking to write anything podcast. And it was a um, conversation that um, NT Wright had in 2018 with um, a first century scholar named Tom Holland um and it's really interesting because tom holland it like the way he kind of said it is like everything is about me is christian but like i don't believe in jesus (laughs) essentially is like where he's at and and what the reason like he got to that point is like kind of the story he told was he got really into rome and greece and kind of first century you know history stuff and he was like man this is so cool the stuff that got me into it is like they're they're ba like they're hardcore like they're awesome you know and then the more he like researched it the more he found stuff about that that was like so gruesome that he was like i actually don't love this like and and the thing that he said is like there's just this like given callousness that's just assumed like the the greek the greco-roman world 
is does not care if you are marginalized and like if you were to be like hey i i'm marginalized give me help they'd be like you're marginalized sweet how can i take advantage of you enslave you yeah Yeah, exactly um and and so there, there is a little bit of hope in this and basically what he says is like something about jesus and paul particularly like epitomizes this like jesus and judeo christian theology shattered that world in in a lot of ways to now where we have a sense whether you're a christian or not in the modern world that like helping the marginalized is the right thing to do mm-hmm. whether we do it or not but like ev- everyone kind of agrees that that's a virtue for the most part but he's like it, that changed because of jesus and because of he, he they're talking about paul so they kind of go back to that and and how he's he's like Basically, the reason Tom Holland goes back to Paul, too, is, like, he is the first letters of antiquity that, like, voice this mm-hmm. um, as something that is real. And if he's talking to N.T. Wright, they're probably talking about Paul anyway. Does oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. N.T. Wright know anything about Paul? Yeah. Uh, I'm not totally sure. <laughs> Does he have, like, a book, a single book about Paul? Yeah. Yeah, that's really powerful. I think, you know... I, you hear a lot in like modern Christianity that like the world's coming to an end and things are getting worse, but like on the whole for marginalized people, things are getting better. And I, I think that's like good to know and remember because, you know, we're, we're here to bring the kingdom of God here and enacting some sort of justice, even on like the crappy government level that like has all these holes and problems. At least there, at least there is something that's changing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think too. It's a, it's like a refocus of. I'm trying to synthesize everything we're talking about into like one <laughs> sentence, and it's so hard to do so. But like when when you were saying, Chris, like you hang out with these people that have issues, and you immediately think like, how do I solve their issues? You know, and you got to refocus that to to, you know, first of all, they're just the issues that they're you know that they're having right now, and also that you're able to see. And it's like all the issues that they actually have deep inside them, like you can't fix those anyway. So instead of trying to help them live a life of service and then what does that life of service look like? It's probably just like living alongside of them and knowing that, hey, you know, in the new kingdom, we're all going to be hanging out, drinking pina coladas together and it's going to be awesome. But like that, that is so hard. It's such a hard pill to swallow. And, you know, as we're thinking about all this, <clears throat> something that stops me from like service in general is hypocrisy you know like it's like i shouldn't be doing this because i'm filling the blank or i'm not filling the blank and like that's another piece of like you got to get over that you know like you got to take one hard look at yourself you know before you go out and you know start you know trying to to you know live out the things that we're talking about so yeah yeah you're totally right harry I, i like i said i think it took me like five months to realize the best thing i could do was just pray with them and talk to them and be their friend and i was doing that before but i wasn't really that wasn't my end goal you know um so now it's it's very much i see some of the same people a lot and it's just oh how are you doing how can i be praying for you you know um i carry water and sometimes i carry food with me so i can you know hang out with them and offer them stuff but it's not about solving their physical issues because frankly there's a lot of other places that can do that better than i can um, and I've, you know, part of my due diligence is knowing what they are and being able to direct people to that. 
but really like what I can offer them is just being with them. Yeah. Here's a maybe poignant question. Um, what do you think then is the, the responsibility of local churches when it comes to this kind of topic? Like, you know, what, what should the local church be doing to advocate for the poor, to fight for the oppressed, those sorts of things? I mean, it, or, or is this like um, an Old Testament thing? You know, like it's like, ah, that was what God was concerned with then. You know, um, now it's just like preach the gospel or whatever. You know, like what, what, where do we fall in? What, what's maybe something uh, uh, orthopraxy out of this? Um, if there's an orthodoxy under it. Yeah. So obvious. I mean, I don't know that I need to say it, but we live in a different time for sure. <laughs> um, I, you know, in when this was written and even in the new Testament, um, churches like you were talking about were the forefront for all of this. They shattered expectations, changed how, you know, how people saw the world, their own value. Like these were brand new things of, people seeing like value in women as leaders, people seeing value in children, like not wanting to kill them just because they, you know, they weren't X, Y, and Z when they were born. Um, I think, you know, now we have, and this is fortunate and unfortunate. We have a lot of parachurch ministries that do jobs very well. And a lot of those are Christian ministries. So they're almost extensions of the church. And I honestly think like, you know, the place I live in right now is um, connected to a bunch of huge counties. The county right below us is bigger than Rhode Island. And they just like, we're just, there's just a lot of people here. And what I've kind of figured out is churches have a responsibility to know, utilize, and support all of the ministries around them. So like my church has a lot of people that love to serve, but we don't have people not coming up to our door all the time asking for help. So it's our job to find the places that need help, the places that need money. Churches are really good at raising money. Like they are. And money is a big deal. It needs it needs to be done. So like finding the places that need money and need and need help and partnering with them and like being a resource to each other. Um I went out and I got to meet um a lot of people. So I met I met a lot of people from our um Southwest Florida Food Bank and just like getting to talk to people and see what they can provide and telling them what we can provide like just that connection is just so powerful and i don't think churches do enough of that yeah i think the first thing that i thought about is like the difference between serving your community and then serving like on a larger larger like national global scale and i'm going to focus on like just serving it in my community because like that's all is like all I as an individual like can fathom at this point, honestly, I would say. But <clears throat> one thing that I think the church that I go to does really well is like local community outreach. Um, but I think you can get into a pattern of like, I've got my 10 outreaches that I do every single year and we're good to go. And that defeats the purpose of like the living together or like just like, like you're saying, like praying alongside people. That's the best way of getting to know them. And so I think what you have to do alongside that is, is constantly like widen the net. And so I don't know if that looks like planting another church or if it's just as simple as like, how about we invite some different people <laughs> in that are like gonna, in, like Lincoln, Nebraska. It is so stupid how 
like demographically segregated this town is. And, and like Lincoln, Nebraska, it's not Chicago. Like there's not a south side of Chicago here, but it is obviously segregated. And so it's not even as easy as like, oh, like, you know, cast the wider net. It's like, you need to go find people. You need to like, you need to, you need to like kind of evangelize hard significantly to expand the net of like your church in this town. And so I think that's what we do a poor job of. I think like we get into our, oh, like I'm good at, we, we used to serve at the marathon forever. I'm good at serving the marathon. I'm good at like picking up trash, but it's like, when was like the last time you like went out and expanded that net for like lack of a better term? I think that's what, I think that's really what people um, and I need to focus on more. Yeah. Sorry. Uh- let, so this is something that I've been thinking about. So let me ask a question. So let's say we want to reach those people that live downtown, like people that live, you know, on the inner city side. What's better for them? Is it better for us to go to them to try to get us to come to our church or to support the churches that are already there to get them to go to the people that already are in that area? And like, I, again, I'm at a church that, is in a pretty affluent part of town. So this is stuff I'm thinking about currently. Yeah, I, I think it takes a village, not an individual would be the first thing I would say. But like from my own experience, I, I try to give money to individuals and organizations that I know are going to do good things. And specifically like ones that I know are going to do things that are, they're going to do way better than I can do. Like yeah. I, I'm not good with three-year-olds, you know, like I'm just not. Like that's not my gift. A lot of people, that's their gift when they come to church. And so, like, I want to support that. That's just an example. Um, but then also, like, I have a bunch of shirts. Like, I've noticed I never would have thought this when I was a teenager. But I have a lot of shirts that are like, Jesus this, Jesus that, Hope Community Church, whatever. And, like, if I just wear that on a Tuesday and I talk with people, like, eventually someone is going to ask me about it. And so yeah. it's not – when I say, like, hardcore evangelize, what I actually do, hate and don't mean – is like, do you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior? Do you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior? I hate that person, honestly. Yeah. But what it does mean is like, and whether it's a t-shirt or like a WWJD bracelet or like something that's not visible, you know, it's just like how you live. But when those opportunities present themselves, you need to take advantage of them. Like yeah. the when, when I say like um, something that our church needs to do better, I've been, I, those conversations around my shirts, I think I've had two random people that I've invited to church and they both just came one time and I didn't get them to come back. And like, I think about those two people a lot. Like I screwed up, like I screwed up something in that process, but at the very least I was doing the thing where it's like, just be open, just like live alongside those people. And then maybe you'll meet them where they're at, at some wonderful moment. And maybe that'll lead to something else, you know, and maybe, maybe, you know, my interaction with, was with them wasn't supposed to, you know, end with them going to my same church every Sunday or whatever. Maybe it, you know, helped them hopefully in some other way. But like, it's, it's not these massive, it's not like I need to start my own soup kitchen. You're right. Like there's other soup kitchens that are established that I can help in a bunch of different ways, but it's like just being open and just like, I don't know how to, how to say it. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a really good question and i think one thing that you said already chris is really vital is you have to know what people are doing in your city that isn't just your local church that you go to 
And, and I think it's like a paradigm shift because we live in a capitalist country that operates on with churches as a capitalist um, function as well, where it's like, no, come to my church so that my church gets the money. Um, and I, I just don't think that that's the way that we're supposed to run as a church. Um, I think that, you know, when we're when we're like, hey, welcome to my church here at my church we're a family like th- what we should be saying is like the family we're, we're a part of the family you know the family is all of christianity globally all people who love jesus who follow him globally like that's that's the family um so we should be aware of what our brothers and cousins are doing you know around town and and one, I went to a conference a long time ago, and one thing that they were talking about out at the time was um, a Christian buzzword called incarnational ministry. Um, and basically what that means is we should do ministry the way that Jesus did it, which is Jesus was God, um, but he instead became incarnate among us and, and lived with us. And, and that was kind of the idea is whoever you want to affect, you should be incarnate with them. Um, and and I, I just thought that was a really good idea. And, and, and then it goes, like you can pair that alongside the other thing where it's like, okay, I'm living with, I'm like giving my whole self to these people that I want to see the beauty of God's work in, in my life and in theirs. Um, but then sometimes I will come across people that just like aren't in my region of, of effect. Um, I had one person who was, I was like on North 27th Street, which is nowhere close to where I live. I like ran out, gave this guy some water because it was super hot. And then another person came up and like just spilled their guts to me. And I was like, okay. And I was like, where do you live? And they're like, oh, I live around like 16th and D Street. And I was like, you should check out F Street Church because they're right there and they will meet your needs in a lot of ways that my church can't. And it's also really far from where you live. And so like just me knowing that F Street Church was right there and excels at the kinds of things that this person needed was really huge. Do I know if they went to that church? No, no clue. But like, at least they know that there is a resource there locally for them um, that can help. So yeah, long, long answers to your good question. But I, I like that we're getting practical because, you know, it shows that the wisdom, the the Torah, as um, Tim would call it from the Bible Project, is real in this. Like there's there's teaching that that we learn um, from this stuff, and it, it should be actually applied um, in a real way. And and I like that the way that we applied it was by bringing it to Jesus and saying like, how did how did Jesus apply this? What did that look like? Um, so, yeah, really good discussion. As we kind of wrap up, are there things from kind of the final chapters or how do you, you know, I'll ask that question and then another question, you can take it either way you want. What what were the final chapters doing for you? And then how does this final section connect with the rest of the thing? How do we kind of wrap this this book? Yeah, um, I definitely could have spent more time on the end, to be honest with you, but I... 
I've I've seen so much of that you know messianic language before that when I was reading it I I so th- thought to myself this is really cool and then just kind of went past it because you know I'm doing the thing that Christians do where I just apply everything to Christ and like ignore the context um, <laughs> but um, it's really great it's awesome I just I feel like I'm like you know callous to it. Yeah, well, let me let me do a little bit of that for us, shall I? <laughs> I would say there were a couple of things that, like jumped out at me that were like some of them I think were explicitly Jesus referencing, and others a little bit less so. Um, in Isaiah sixty, uh, verse six, it gets into how the people of Sheba will bring gold and frankincense, and so that's how Jesus. I see Jesus there. There's no myrrh, but like gold and frankincense, I was like, this must mean something. And <laughs> so I, I don't know if you guys know anything about that, but like. That's something I feel like uh, uh, set my Jesus radar off. And then there was a really, really nice line in uh, 63. Um, and once again, this is where I'm thinking. It's like, is this is this a letter written by Paul? I don't even know where we're at right now. This is Isaiah 63, verse 8 and 9. He said, they are my very own people. Surely they will not betray me again. And he became their savior. And all their suffering he also suffered. And he personally rescued them. Make it, that made me think of like the incarnational, uh, incarnational. What, what is it? Yeah, ministry. ministry incarnational yeah. ministry again. In His love and mercy, He redeemed them. He lifted them up and carried them through all the years until it gets bad again. But like those, uh, let me get one more, one more Jesus one for you, guy. Um, here we go. Oh, this isn't even Jesus. This is like I thought we were in Revelation. Isaiah 65, verse 17. Look, I am creating a new heavens and a new earth, and no one will even think about the old ones anymore. I remember when I read this. I was like, what? Isaiah 65, we're about to like end this book, and God's been talking about, you know, like, I'm going to kill everyone, and the Lord of Heaven's armies, you're bad, you're good, you're bad, you're good, there's going to be good, there's bad right now. And then he just goes there. I'm going to just completely start over. New heavens, new earth. It was very Revelation-Z to me. Um, all the way down to the wolf and the lamb feeding together, which I think that concept has been brought up in this book before. Um, but those, those were the ones, yeah, those were the, those were the, the very Jesus areas of Isaiah 65 and 66 that jumped out to me. That's awesome. I, uh, when you brought up the frankincense and gold thing, um, you said there's no myrrh, right? I didn't know this but apparently myrrh is used to anoint it's the what you get the oil from sometimes so to anoint things so there's probably significance in that being added to when jesus came was that he would be the anointed one and so definitely calling back to that but also like hey this is also being added to it which is pretty cool makes more sense the frankincense and gold is more like the treasures and then the myrrh is the anointing yeah, that is cool. I definitely, in these last couple of chapters, picked up pretty heavily on the Revelation um, hyperlinks. And I think that is that is one thing that's good to know, actually, just, just like as an aside, that Revelation is not the only place that like talks like it does. Um, and, and I think that's good to know because people can get really obsessed with Revel- Revelation and be like, this is the secret code uh, to everything. But when, when, it, when you realize that it's pulling like verbatim stuff 
basically only verbatim. Like, yeah. Revelation is, like, only verbatim quotes from other places in the Bible. Yeah. Um, that's, a, that's a really good point. It's like one of those uh, ransom notes that's got letters cut out from a magazine. It, it, like, it's yeah. all, none of it's original. None of it except the intro of John of Patmos is original. He just cuts out chunks of, like, the rest of the Bible, and then they're in, like, the most creepy, weird order where you're like, what is going on? But none of them are original. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I really like that. I... Everybody always wants to read Revelation, but I honestly, you know, saying as somebody that, you know, loves the Bible and does study it, I don't think I even understand the Bible well enough to read Revelation well. Like, you, like, you really need to understand the Bible well to understand what Revelation is. Not saying you can't read it, but you're going to miss a whole lot. Yeah, I think the the way I understand it and the way that, like, Tim from the Bible Project makes it very clear to me every single week is... That there, when I think of hyperlinks, I think of the singles from the albums. I think of like track three, it was number one on the radio. Everybody knows that song. But when you read Revelation and like when you really read the whole Bible, you need to know the deep cuts. You need to read the sentence and you need to be like, yes, this ties to Genesis 1, but it also ties to and like go through the list and then compare and contrast all of those together. And Revelation, you're right, it's like the most the most dense for that type of work. Um, and I don't have the time or I don't even know if the mental capacity, you know, considering all of the other things that I want to spend my, my brain on to do that. Yeah, I just thought of a really random analogy. Um, and it, it's probably not even going to hit really well at all. But um, Halsey has a song um, that's, one of my favorite songs is called Without Me. It's like the only song that I like of hers. But the the whole thing is is basically like, hey, you rode the waves of my success to height and now you're just going to like leave me at that height and, and just forget about me. But then the bridge is, you don't have to say it's what you did. I already know. I had to find out from them, which is a quote from Justin Timberlake. She, I mean, she literally just snatched that line and just threw it into her bridge. And the cool thing about that is, and it like all of a sudden it changes everything about the song before because it could have been about anything. But then once you throw in that Justin Timberlake song, which is like, very explicitly about cheating like all of a sudden that context just gets wrapped into the whole rest of the song and, and so now you're like listening back to the justin timberlake song and you're like whoa when i put these two songs together like there, there's some heightened meaning there and so i think that's kind of what revelation is doing and and it's cool because it's in i i think what's what's cool about revelation is John is um, pontificating on Isaiah, but now in light of what that Messiah actually looked like. And, it, you know, what, Harry, what you said is like, oh, all of a sudden it's just like new heavens and new earth. I'm just going to do away with all this old stuff and start over. But but it's clear that may, that's probably actually what people thought at the time when they were reading Isaiah but John, when he gets to Revelation and he's writing this, he, he has thought about the incarnation. He's thought about the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And now he's bringing that in and he's starting to realize new creation isn't about wiping away and starting over. It's about 
raising to new life the way that Jesus raised to new life and and he brings in these same elements of like the slaughtered lamb the slain lamb like that's that's the glory is the slainness like the lamb is still slain in revelation in some places because there there's beauty there's glory in that and and the martyrs are hi- highlighted all the time and so i think like what john is realizing is the power isn't in the might of God to slay all enemies and wipe everything out and start new. That that's that's just that's what power always does. But Jesus flips that entirely and brings life out of death, and that's something new to to really start thinking about to, to like change the way that we read Isaiah even going backward. And, and so I think that's that's one thing that's really cool is you can read it forward, you can read it backward. And I, I really think that that's what Revelation is intended for rather than, I think everyone basically reads Revelation forward, but I think what Revelation is really designed for is, is reading it backward. Yeah. You, I didn't know where you are going with that comparison, but yeah, I think you did nail it. Isaiah is like the JT of his time, writes a banger scroll. It's appreciated for what it is. But it's not until Halsey marries the two that she actually like enhances our our and like honestly now when I listen to JT's Cry Me a River I'm like wow I, like I appreciate that song even more now so yeah cool <laughs> <laughs> yeah we got there we got to the yeah. point we made it um, I love it I yeah. think it's great yeah, yeah. so and maybe the, I yeah, think you know say? Revelation and Isaiah are like the extreme extents of that but you get that everywhere in the bible so like the more you read and understand every part of the bible the more the like every part of the bible makes sense which is just wild yeah so the the theme that really pops out to me and and finishing out kind of this section in 66 is it 66 really just gives this huge picture of God and his throne being established on earth and how that throne is connected with the return of Israel to Jerusalem to their home in in verse 20 it says they will bring the remnant of your people back from every nation they will bring them to my holy mountain in Jerusalem as an offering to the Lord Um, and all humanity, verse 23, all humanity will come to worship me from week to week and from month to month. And and so I, I just, the, the picture is cool, again, of it's not a totally starting over thing, but a renewal process that is bigger than it was before. Before, Jerusalem was this set-apart chosen people for the nations, and in the same way that the church in Acts, in the beginning of Acts, was kind of siloing themselves in Jerusalem, so was Isaiah, or so was Israel at the time of Isaiah. So God, in his amazingness, exiled the people to go out into all these other nations. And as a product of that, now the light of God and in, in his people is in all these other nations. So now, when the return of the king is here, <laughs> then 
all the nations are are coming back to Jerusalem. And and I I just think it's cool because you see that play out in Acts as well, where the church is just like in Jerusalem waiting. The Holy Spirit comes. They still just keep waiting, even though the Holy Spirit gave them tongues to speak in all these different languages. Like, why would that happen? I don't know. It was a cool thing that happened. And then there's this persecution and it's really bad and people are dying and so people disperse and all of a sudden you get these stories of timothy and others uh, not timothy philip um, going out to these other places and because they're running from this persecution now they're running into other cities and sharing the gospel there and, and things are happening and so i think that's it's cool to see that that is what God's plan was like from the beginning like he did that in Israel he did that in the church like that's that is what he does and so I think if that's consistent in what he does he does it in the Old Testament he does it in the New Testament it probably is a story to us as well like how do we respond again to that wisdom what what's the wisdom here to respond to and and how should it move us um to live out of that yeah, I think that's awesome, Hayden. I think it's really powerful. Uh, one thing that kind of caught my eye, which I, I guess is not in the New Living Translation, but the week to week is um, Sabbath to Sabbath. And um, I think it's really cool how this ends on Sabbath, like that kind of note, um, you know, because that's just how God is choosing to end this on from rest to rest, from your day with me. Um, yeah everything will be changed and he will go out and look on the dead of those who rebelled against him. Super intense and powerful, but also (laughs) right next to rest for his people. It's really cool. I like how you tell me that that's uh, translated to Sabbath. There was one other part, I think in like 60 or something like that, where once again, it read like Paul writing about how you should keep the Sabbath holy, like a, with this weird little paragraph that is just like, by the way, keep the Sabbath holy. So <clears throat> I, I, once again, that, that probably was a more pronounced, uh, in Hebrew, like literal, you know, phrase or something like that, that they used, but I, I would have missed that. So I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, it's, it's actually, it reads from one new moon to another, from one Sabbath to another. So which might not mean anything to you unless you know about, you know, customs taking place depending on the moon cycles. So I think it makes sense either way, totally, but it is neat to see that Sabbath continue through. Yeah. Yeah. I, the, the, the theme of Sabbath was one that came up over and over in this end. And I, I thought it was really good. I don't remember where it was, but it was basically like, why are you not keeping the sabbath um like it's one day one day for you to trust that god will provide for you like and to spend time with him but you literally don't have the humility to give up a single day of your time to trust the lord and and man i was i was struck by that because it we in the united states we do have like a work a hall epidemic um we and i think that comes from the fact that we actually believe and as part of our like 
story that we grew up on as Americans that like we're the ones like if we work hard enough we make our own destiny sort of thing and that like is just not biblical <laughs> that that's like something that God literally baked in from the very beginning is that like you I'm the one who provides for you I I give you work and I let you work because it, it's good and it's beautiful and amazing things come out of that but I want you to remember, it, have a rhythm of remembering that I'm the one who provides for you. And we just, I don't think we believe it, honestly, like in, in, in a lot of ways. And so I think that's, yeah, one thing that came up over and over again. And I appreciate, again, going back to like the paradigm shiftingness of Judeo-Christian theology that comes from the Bible, rest and and like building in rhythms of rest even though we suck at it as a country is something totally foreign to the rest of the ancient world and is a lot of the reasons why jews historically have gotten so much stigma is because they refused to work on a day of the week and that was just like lazy you're lazy like you're you know you just want to be lazy and that's what it is but like it, it is like a a radical thing that shifts the way the world views work um that we still reap the benefits from and yet we still like rebel against it too yeah isn't it i I don't know if it's directly translated but like one of the translations for sabbath is stop you know and i I like to think of it as that because even when i'm resting like you can still be resting like with a purpose for the next thing you're gonna do like i'm gonna get like a bunch of sleep tonight because tomorrow i have to wake up early or whatever and stopping for me is like a better, I rare, I am like a high octane individual. I rarely stop. And like the picture in my mind is like, if I were just like on a canoe out in like a very large body of water and then I just stopped moving out there, no phone or whatever, it's like, that would be Sabbath. <laughs> that would be stopping. And I do think that that's extremely foreign to, to our generation, world, nation. Yeah. 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 Rest isn't the best translation for us now. I think it's just because our, we've just changed the meaning of that over time. Um, one thing that was helpful to me to hear was more like a, a rest in music, like in cheat music, when it causes you to stop or pause. Um, that was kind of like, okay, I understand where it's coming from a bit, but yeah, stop is good. Um, yeah, stop what you're doing. <laughs> yeah, and the, the cool thing about that is like, music that going with that analogy music that utilizes rest really well it heightens impact of the not rest like it's so cool like when when you're going along and all of a sudden the music just totally cuts out and then something comes in you're like what what it recaptures your attention and now you're focusing again on the music itself which which i think is cool when you put it into this context yeah i'll give you a little cheat code whenever i do like record music and make music with my one of my buddies we uh we have like a fail safe like before every chorus if it's like not hitting you just need to like make it like shh and then the chorus hits or whatever (laughs) if you just put a little just a little gap in there it times a thousand the effect for sure absolutely Yeah. yeah that's cool it is cool so looking back on Isaiah as a whole, final closing thoughts. Yeah, I think we started it by saying, um, you know, it's something that's often referred to as the fifth gospel. And, uh, you know, it's 
<laughs> incredibly different from the gospels, but I think telling the story of Jesus, it's like a must read. Yeah. I, I think that's, that's a really good point, Chris. And, um, there are parts of the Bible that are the most popular parts of the Bible within the Bible. And when I think of like the most popular parts of the Bible, I think of like John three sixteen or whatever, or like Romans eight. Um, but the most quoted or the most used parts of the Bible itself aren't exactly always the parts that we like as Christians know and, and have memorized. Um, and when I've, when I read through this, there was so much like what, in like 10 chapters, we pointed to revelation and like a number of different Pauline letters. And, you know, like we, we you know, we could go all over the Bible with just this one book. Um, and not to say that that isn't true for other books of the Bible, but this one, I think particularly so it's, it's so common within the Bible itself that, um, I think it takes, it takes the time to appreciate. Uh, I, I don't know if I'll be going to a larger book of the Bible anytime soon. This one was a slog, not going to lie. Um, but I am certainly glad that I did it. Yeah. Let me ask another practical question. Um, do you think that if your local church neglected to spend any time in Isaiah that you would miss out? Um, and if so, what, what do you think you'd miss out on? And if not, um, why not? Oh, yeah. yeah. I think so. Like, I, I think the church would miss out. I, I think, I mean, yeah, I, I think what would be important though is that it would be done, um, intelligently is not the right word, although that's important, but, um, it would be done thoughtfully, uh, because I, I feel like it'd be really easy to blow through this and miss a lot of it. And I think a lot of churches would be in danger of doing that, maybe just hitting the highlights and then leaving. But I think the story it tells as a whole is really powerful. Um, all that to say is it's it's very hard to go through a large book of the Bible like this um, as a modern day church. Not that it shouldn't be done, but it's just tough. Yeah, I was thinking like, <clears throat> would the message of the Bible be significantly changed or like, would there be gaps if Isaiah wasn't in there? And I think the very first thing I thought was no. Like, you know, if I read from front to back and, like, that particular prophet wasn't in the book, I probably wouldn't miss anything. I think the things that jumped out to me that are are missing without Isaiah or, like, or that are really, um, like, that typify Isaiah, that's probably what I'm trying to say, mm-hmm. is that it's, it's prophetic about Jesus. Like, I feel like, what is it, Psalm 28? Psalm 28 would be looked at with like an almost supernatural air because it would be like one of the only places in the Bible where it talks about crucifixion before crucifixion even exists. But like there are so many places in Isaiah where it's like, oh, his face will be beaten or whatever. Or, you know, the the Lamb of God, like all of this language, all of this language. So we went through it. So in our opinion, very obviously pointing towards Jesus, that I think it it does kind of sit alone in that respect. It being so obviously pointing towards Jesus hundreds of years before he even existed. Um, so I think maybe that piece would be missing. Um, but I don't know if the Bible itself would necessarily change. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think yeah, in hindsight, it's hard to like give full credit to Isaiah and, and what it does. I think that well, what you said, like if we 
had happened to have the rest of the Bible and just never found scrolls of Isaiah for whatever reason, I, I agree. I don't think we'd be like, oh, my theology is radically different or my understanding of Jesus is radically different. However, I think, it, you know, we talked about this before, but Isaiah is what the church turned to initially to write the Gospels. Like, it is what gave them sense to make sense of what Christ was. And so I think in that way, like, it, it is incredibly important. And and maybe we're um, just blessed that we have the New Testament to piece out what Isaiah means in a reflection with, with Jesus in it. But I think it, it's good and helpful that to know at least that God was it is unchanging in that way because I do think that we often can see the Old Testament as like a different version of God but I think Isaiah shows us that this God was the same God and he was working the same plans then and we know that because it's what the church went to to make sense of Jesus when Jesus came. Um, so I think that's helpful. Yeah, and I, and I would say to anyone who's interested in this scroll book of the Bible, it is actually fairly approachable due to that exact reason. Like if you are yeah. a Christian, um, as far as the prophets go, this one's going to be the most approachable. There's going to be things in it that are going to be the most recognizable just because you are a Christian. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I would I would say that as well. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Well, I think we are done with Isaiah. Never going to open it ever again. Well, you, at the beginning of this podcast, you said, we're going to shut the book on Isaiah. And I was like, how, how do you shut a scroll? Like, <laughs> is it one of those things where it's like, and it just like spins in there? Or did they have to like rubber band it or tie it or something? Yeah, that's a really good question. We're going to put the seal yeah. on the scroll. Just a really huge rubber band. Because it's yeah. just one scroll, they would just... Yeah, or was it the thing where you where you have two rods and you mm. roll it inward yes. towards one another? Oh, and then okay. So when you that, need to read it, you get, you know... You start in the middle. Jeff and Doug, and they just yeah. pull yeah. it apart for you. Yeah, but the cool part of that technology is you can roll your fingers to move the page upward and simulate. Yeah. It's an iPad. It is they an had iPad. iPads. It's an iPad. That's why they call it scrolling. 